0: to scary savannah and beyond this is going to be episode number say it in espanol
1: i don't
0: know i asked somebody how to say it and i've already forgotten how to say it so i probably just you know ordered mcdonald's take through number three combo by accident
1: double macchiato with cheese double macchiato with cheese (laughs) please. that's what you would order at mcdonald's or mcrib since this is your last chance to get one.
0: That made me so sad when we found out about that because uh, it's going away, supposedly. And then I asked her to go get me one and she went to the McDonald's locally that uh, would supposedly have it, but it was only like three in the afternoon and they were already closed for the day.
1: They have a problem with a shortage of employees, unfortunately.
0: They sold all... The McRibs and they just closed Probably. it down. Closed it down. I don't know
1: how you can eat those things. They just look so nasty. I wouldn't even want to try it.
0: It doesn't matter what it looks like, it no matter what it tastes like.
1: Yeah, but is it even real meat? Who cares? Taco Bell's not I real meat. Care. No, I, I love Taco I Bell. Like, that's kinda weird you too. You
0: can't beat Taco Bell for inexpensive non meat food that looks like meat. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but tasting it, it tastes like it's processed something. Like, you can tell it's not normal meat.
0: All the best things in life are processed, Crystal. My vocals are processed. I sound like an eight-year-old girl without these buttons (laughs) turned on. You know that. I know that. So stay tuned at the end of the episode, and we will be announcing the winner of the October merchandise giveaway
1: October Merch sounds like a band name.
0: October Merch with their new single, Burning It Down, featuring the Slide Rock Bolter backing band.
1: And not Idaho.
0: And nothing from Idaho, mm-hmm. which is also probably a cool name for a band. Yeah. Nothing from Idaho. It'd be like an emo band that would be on that alternative hits channel we listen to when you're stomping me at board games.
1: Yeah. Hey, you actually beat me last night. I kind of taught you how to play and you finally listened to me.
0: I stole your game plan and now you will never be able to beat me again except for the next time we play.
1: I've been trying to tell you for months how to play and you always go against it. it. Can't lay off of the five points and the
0: six points, but they're... They're
1: they're, really not worth as much as you think. It's scamming you. It's math.
0: It is math. So beyond losing at a board game last night, tell me... How have you been this week?
1: Well, other than that, I'm good, but I don't like to lose. So I'm ready for a rematch. And today, while we're recording, it's actually our son Elijah's 21st birthday.
0: Yay! Hooray to Elijah! We would say happy birthday to to Elijah,
1: but he'll never listen to it. Maybe he'll listen to it when we're dead just to like remember us by. Eh. So remember, we wished you a happy birthday.
0: No, he won't do that. The way he'll remember us is he's 21 years old. Now, what do most 21-year-olds ask for for their birthday?
1: Uh, Alcohol, money, a trip. Something. Something. We
0: offered to take him to Las Vegas for his 21st birthday. Yes,
1: come on, people. We
0: offered to take him there and give him money to go into a casino. Do you know what he asked for? For his 21st birthday, the only thing he asked for, and we had to badger him to give us this Yeah, I had to pry this out of him. So, Crystal, let's throw the picture up of what he asked for for his birthday, and why don't you describe it?
1: Okay, he wanted a pot because he lives in a dorm at college, and his main source of food is beef stew and rice or pasta. That's what he likes to eat. He has a very bland palate and those are his yeah. foods of choice.
0: Doesn't put salt on it.
1: No. And it's like all this time he could have asked for a pot. We would have given him a pot, bought yes, him a pot. We would anything. Have bought him a nice pot. Yeah. And so he's like, uh, I just want a pot. And he was like, do you know how difficult it is to make... Uh, beef stew and rice without a pot. Well,
0: what has he been using? I don't
1: know. He's I put it
0: in a bathtub.
1: <laughs> it's I really like bathtub. don't know. It's like
0: bathtub gym, but it's bathtub stew and rice.
1: So I went on Amazon and found him a pot and uh, had it sent to him at school.
0: Yeah. And he was so impressed with this present that he just texted a picture of it with no text explanation yeah. as to what the picture was. And I
1: said, Did you like the pot? And he was like, Yeah, it's the greatest pot I could have ever hoped for.
0: Yes. So our son, very practical. And he said, well, if you want to give me money, I would rather instead of going to Vegas for you to put it into some sort of fund or Yeah, he'd rather have the money. And I'm like, that ain't how you roll, son. (laughs) How are you going to lose all your money in the gambling casino if you spend it all on saving it and only (laughs) ask for a pot?
1: So he's you know very what I would have
0: done if my parents offered to take me to Vegas? I know, right? I Whose went to parents
1: Vegas. take them to Vegas exactly for their twenty-first? And he didn't want to go. I bet our daughter will do it though.
0: Oh yeah, she spends more than we spend on his birthday every week with your credit card.
1: Oh, I know. Yeah, but she's going to be turning twenty, so we got a year to save up because it's going to cost a lot to take her to Vegas.
0: If we offer, we might just send her a pot. Well, for her at birthday. that point.
1: <laughs> Kirsten, what color plot do you want?
0: No, we aren't asking. We're just picking one. <laughs> we'll know it's black because she doesn't yeah, like she to have black. any flashy color, like purple or blue.
1: Yeah, but she'll be the last one to turn 21. So at that point, they could all go so we could have a whole family losing money.
0: It's a family building experience. Yeah,
1: We'll see what happens. So now that spooky season is over, we started searching for our next topic to talk about. Of course, I went down a huge rabbit hole, as always. This time it was about conspiracy theories, and I found a lot of ideas for upcoming episodes. However, I also stumbled upon some cases of unexplained disappearances, so I thought we'd talk about a couple of those.
0: Sounds interesting to me.
1: I know we've all heard about the Bermuda Triangle and all the weird things that go on there, but disappearances aren't limited to this area. There are literally thousands of cases of people or vessels going missing with seemingly no trace. We picked a couple of the more interesting ones to talk about today. First up, we're going to talk about the Ghost Blimp, and we're going back to 1942. Picture it, August 16th, California. The weather is sunny because it's California.
0: Apparently, it only rains there if we go. Does it? It will if we ever go.
1: The United States is nine months into its involvement in World War II following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The Japanese have their submarines along the West Coast and have recently sunk no less than half a dozen Allied ships. There have also been recent bombing attacks by the Japanese on Elwood Oilfield in California and Fort Stevens in Oregon. Another event that occurred shortly before this ghost blimp incident was the Battle of Los Angeles.
0: And this is a really interesting story that I had never heard of, and I don't think they talk about it in school. I
1: know, I never heard of it.
0: She told it to me over a bar. We're at a bar. Over a bar? Over a bar, in a, bar over a bar, over a bar, while we were on Halloween.
1: <laughs> while well, you were on Halloween. We were okay, on Halloween Brad.
0: excursion.
1: On the 24th of February in 1942, air raid sirens blared and a blackout was ordered in anticipation of an enemy attack. Gunfire into the blackened sky erupted overnight as enemy plane sightings were reported. At 4.14 a.m., the all-clear signal was given And it turns out there was no enemy attack after all. Some buildings had been damaged in the frenzy and five civilian casualties occurred as a result of traffic accidents and medical emergencies.
0: You know what probably happened here was is that this was probably an Allied plane and they attempted to make a collect call to the airfield, which was denied. And so they were not able to identify themselves.
1: You never make a collect call to the government. They're not going to pick up.
0: I can tell you, I'm very close with big (laughs) government. I am very familiar with their tendencies and policies.
1: This quote-unquote attack, or whatever it was, was front-page news across the West Coast. The official conclusion was that it was simply a weather balloon. Isn't it always a weather balloon?
0: I can't tell you the last time it wasn't a weather balloon.
1: The overreaction was attributed to, quote, war nerves, as everyone was on high alert that enemy attacks could happen at any time. To defend against these events going on, the United States Navy is using, what else? Blimps. Blimps. Weather balloons. Think Goodyear blimp at a sporting event around 150 foot long to surveil the ocean for any Japanese submarines.
0: I'm thinking about it right now.
1: (laughs) This particular blimp, known as the L-8 or Love-8, is armed with two 325-pound Mark 17 depth bombs, along with a 30 caliber machine gun. It is mounted on the exterior deck underneath called a gondola. This is also where the crew would be.
0: You don't mean a .30 caliber?
1: No. (laughs) It also had 300 rounds of ammunition in case they needed it.
0: They were quite ready to be a balloon in the sky raining fire down upon the sea.
1: I don't know why I find these blimps so fascinating. It would just be terrifying for me to fly in one of these things, even I'm though not. they say it's very safe.
0: No, it's not. they say helicopters are safe, oh. too. I would never get in a helicopter. You but you would get in a blimp? What? No. Oh, okay. I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen the Hindenburg disaster. I'm just not going ha- to try mean, it.
0: you know I've got a piece of a blimp in my office, I right? didn't know that. Hmm.
1: From the Pink Floyd.
0: Yes, on Pink Floyd's last tour that they did, the Division Bell tour, there was an airship, which was a blimp, and it was stationed in Wilmington, North Carolina. And a friend of mine that I work with happened to know one of the guys that uh, was there. A big storm came through and destroyed it. And just completely obliterated it. I
1: wondered why it was in pieces.
0: And that's why it was in pieces everywhere. Well, they gathered up all these pieces and sold sold them as art Mm -hmm. and verified them and put numbers on it. And Pink Floyd is one of my favorite bands. So I have a piece of unique Pink Floyd memorabilia hanging in my office that would be very difficult to get these days.
1: Did they uh, travel from show to show in that blimp?
0: I think it was just a promotional Uh, thing. I don't believe the band members got onto the blimp.
1: Well, they should have. This blimp was manufactured by the Goodyear Company for the Navy. It never occurred to me that we used airships or blimps during the war. Do you ever think about that? Like I knew Germany had Zeppelins, but I never thought we had our own. I never heard
0: about it. I've always seen the Zeppelins from Germany. Yeah. And I especially think of Indiana Jones and the last crusade. Always, when no, ticket. <laughs> no ticket. No <laughs> ticket.
1: That's like the first time I remember seeing one like that. Like. We're on TV. to Germany. Yeah, I was like, what are they flying in? The L-8 had a good work record with no prior incidents in its previous 1,092 trips, and it had just been inspected four days prior. On this fateful day, it was piloted by two men, Lieutenant Ernest DeWitt Cody, who was 27 and was a Naval Academy graduate from the class of 1938, and Ensign Charles Adams, aged 34. Somewhere I see he's 32, sometimes he's 34 or 35. He's somewhere in his Well, back 30s. then
0: they didn't have birth certificates or none. Yeah, like you yeah, could just make it up. It's just whenever they were born on the farm and they'd say, Mama, how old am I? And they'd be like, you're 27, son. I'd be like, well, I guess I'm 27.
1: Though both men were considered competent pilots, it's worth noting that it was Adams' first flight as a commissioned officer, though he had been in the Navy for over a decade. He had previously survived a famous airship crash, that of the USS Macon that occurred off the coast of California in 1935. There was a third man scheduled to be on the airship that day. James Riley Hill, who was a machinist, was on board that morning, but was ordered off by Cody. He believes that Cody was concerned about the weight of having a third man aboard. There was also some reported moisture on the envelope, which is the large balloon part, and he felt that was going to add more weight, too.
0: Is that the technical term? It is. It's called an envelope. The envelope. The envelope and the gondola. So the guy came up. Now he's in the military. So you gotta figure this third man is probably not a very obese person. Mm -mm. So he's like, Well, I I don't know. I don't think you need to be in here. There's some moisture on the envelope.
1: Yeah, it's a little suspicious.
0: I feel like there's more to this story.
1: There is. At six oh three AM, the airship lifted off from Treasure Island, which is in San Francisco. It was scheduled to patrol over the Farallon Islands, Point Reyes, Monterra, and then circle back in the direction of the Golden Gate Bridge. At 7.38 a.m., a a radio transmission from the crew relayed that they had observed an oil slick located about four miles from the coast of the Farallon Islands. An oil slick can be an indicator of a nearby submarine. At this time, a small fishing boat was witnessed to the L.A. in the area. They reported seeing the airship hovering about 30 feet above the ocean circling the oil slick. This would be the last confirmed sighting of the crew aboard the ship. They said they saw them inside. So
0: the story starts to get weird.
1: Mm -hmm. So that was at 7.38. There was no further radio contact after 8.50 a.m. Because they had reported back that they saw the oil slick and were investigating, but they never said anything after 8.50. The crew dropped two flares in the area of the oil slick, possibly to mark its location. I saw one report that an airplane pilot in a Pan Am seaplane spotted the L-8 flying at 2,000 feet, which is twice as high as it should fly due to the gases and the pressure of the atmosphere. Flying at that altitude could be really dangerous.
0: That does sound like even if it were rated for such an altitude, why would it be be at such an altitude?
1: Yeah, there's no reason for it. Throughout the morning, many people witnessed the airship and its erratic movements. As is usual with eyewitness accounts, though, their stories varied. Some reported seeing two men on board. Some say they saw no one. One woman said she saw three men. There was even one account of a parachuter being spotted in the area. I saw a
0: hang glider come right out the back of the blimp.
1: (laughs) The crowd following the L-8 was somewhere around 2,000 people, and some were snapping photos. Now, there's my people. Now, why are these not
0: showing up in the Cryptids episodes? Exactly.
1: Exactly. However, Big Government in true Big Government fashion tried to confiscate said photos.
0: Well, you know what Big Government says about things like this. Mm-hmm. It's very secretly classified, but I'm going to reveal it to our entire audience and that is You know what I'm saying?
1: Okay, that clears it's agreeable, everything right? up. That right? clears okay. everything up. At 11:15 a.m., the L8 drifted towards the coastline of Ocean Beach. It touched down on the beach and two men investigated. After finding no crew aboard, they tried to secure the vessel but were unsuccessful. It crashed into a nearby hill, causing one of its depth charges to fall out.
0: That sounds unsafe.
1: This sudden drop in weight allowed it to take flight again. We dropped the bomb, boys! We're (laughs) heading back out! (laughs) It continued flying at a very low altitude as it traveled inland over the Olympic Club golf course and Mission Street. One of the golfers was the person that reported seeing the parachuter. People were following it as it made its descent. Bystanders became very interested as the airship began to bow in on itself and bending into a like a V-shape. Yeah. One person described it as a big, broken wiener.
0: Well, I ain't never seen <laughs> no big, broken wiener in the sky, but today is a new day.
1: <laughs> Here's the picture.
0: Yep. That's a broken wiener.
1: It made its way over the neighborhood of Crocker Amazon in San Francisco, scraping telephone poles and homes.
0: We're talking about Oscar Mayer.
1: That's what I was thinking. It finally comes to rest on top of a freshly washed and waxed car in front of the residence located at 419 Bellevue Avenue in Daly City.
0: I can just see that guy walking out as it lands. I just
1: waxed this thing. I can't believe this. (laughs) Big government. (laughs) Yeah, it was all big government. As you can imagine, the police and big government are quick to take over the scene. I told you. Upon inspection, they find the doors of the gondola are open and the safety bar is missing. But more importantly, so is the crew. The only trace of the two men is a hat resting on the control panel. They find the ship's radio in working order. The life raft and three parachutes are present. Remember, the third man was on board earlier. That's why there was three. They
0: were prepared.
1: Mm -hmm. Their two life jackets are missing, but it was standard procedure for the crew to be wearing their life jackets while they were in the air. So that wasn't unusual. The engines were in their own position and no distress call had been sent out from the radio. According to History.net, the only slightly strange thing was that the blimp's batteries were drained and part of its fuel supply had been dumped. Normally, a blimp wouldn't dump fuel unless it needed to increase buoyancy in a hurry.
0: Now the clues are starting to come together. Are they? They are. I think I know where this is going.
1: Okay. A massive search was conducted by land and air all over the area, but no trace of the men has ever been found. So what happened to Lieutenant Ernest DeWitt Cody and Ensign Charles Adams?
0: Is this a rhetorical question or do you want my feedback? Do you want
1: to say it now or after you've heard all the theories?
0: I would like to hear all the theories first, but then I feel like they're going to take the wind out of my sails and one of them is what I'm thinking. All
1: right, well, tell me what you think it is.
0: I'm thinking that the most likely explanation is that a portal to another universe opened above the balloon and that the two men saw it and it, Irradiated their minds, and they couldn't understand what they're seeing, and they just dissolved in midair.
1: Hmm.
0: And then they were abducted by aliens before they both jumped out of the ship to the ocean below and were eaten by sharks.
1: All good theories.
0: These all happened.
1: The Navy theorized that in order to deploy those smoke flares we talked about earlier to mark the site of the oil slick, yes, that one of the men had opened the rear hatch. He may have slipped, and when his crewmate came to assist him, they both fell. But if they did just accidentally fall, why were their bodies never found since regulation required them to wear life jackets? And at that point, they were only 30 feet above the ocean. Remember sharks, sharks eat life jackets,
0: portals to another world.
1: This sudden drop in weight when they fell, if that's what happened, would have caused the ship to gain altitude at a great speed, possibly accounting for the sighting at 2000 feet. Remember the airplane who saw them flying way too high. That would account for it. But, but let's do you say know together else? they weighed 400 pounds. Is that enough to make it shoot up that far really fast?
0: I don't know how dependent upon the stabilizing ballast yeah, weight. Like, yeah, like if it it's sudden. Like uh, if you lose, say, I doubt two men in the military were going to equal 400 pounds, but they. Well, may I mean, come, if they're
1: big guys, I'm just saying. If we'll they say were, both, big, 200, if they we'll we'll were say both 200, if they were both
0: 200 off. Of the aircraft and then its weight obviously is a lot less, so it's going to be far more buoyant. So, yes, I do believe a rift in space and time <laughs> opened up and that it pulled the ship up to 2,000 feet.
1: Okay. So, the Navy's uh, theory of an accidental fall sounds plausible, possibly. Maybe. Pretty cut and dry, according to big government. And it both, Usually is. And both men were declared legally dead in 1943. But that doesn't stop John Q. Public from theorizing other possibilities to explain their sudden disappearance. The first theory was that the men were involved in a love triangle with an unidentified woman and that one of them had murdered the other, possibly falling to their deaths in a jealous rage.
0: Okay. But how does that explain the second man?
1: He was hitting him or attacking him and they both fell. Well, they
0: both fell out. Yeah. In an an attack, and it's Mm -hmm. like a movie where they're grappling and they're fighting and they're swinging. Were there signs of struggles inside this cockpit? There were not. Or gondola?
1: There were not. So
0: I'm going to check that off the list. Mm -hmm. That I don't think that's one of the possibilities that actually happened.
1: For me, I could see two men getting in a fight over a woman, but I would think that they, being trained officers, would take their job seriously and take their fighting to the bars after work, like they do in Top Gun.
0: Just like I know anything about the Navy You fight in bars Mm -hmm. after you have a piano battle.
1: Yeah. Or it's theorized that one man did kill the other and hid in the gondola. And when it landed, he quietly disappeared into the large crowd. But where would he have gone? He would have had to start a new life. So for me, this theory is also unlikely. But it could explain why he didn't want the third man, James Riley Hill, on board that morning.
0: He could have grown a beard, Mm -hmm. shaved it off... And then relocated. In five hours. And started working at a local falafel stand. I assume they have those on the West Coast.
1: I've never had a falafel.
0: Well, we're not on the West Coast.
1: Okay. Theory two is that the men were captured by the Japanese.
0: Okay, that's interesting.
1: I'm not sure how exactly the Japanese, who were presumably in a submarine, could have captured the men in the airship.
0: Well, they can surface. They can take open the hatch.
1: Yeah, but how could they reach them?
0: By leaving the vessel and going and fetching them, They can go out on them. Maybe they have a skiff or something that they can leave the ship with. Okay. It's possible. It's almost as likely as aliens in the air. Well, maybe the men, maybe the theory about them fighting and falling out happened and they fell in the ocean and then the Japanese went right onto the submarine. And right on the submarine. And they went out there and grabbed them and pulled them in the submarine and took them back to Japan with them.
1: Well, after the war, Japan released all their records and there was no mention of these men being captured. So for me, this is probably a no.
0: Okay. what well, did sound sort of far-fetched mm-hmm. as I was saying it.
1: Theory three is that the two men were defectors, but again, how would they have gotten into the submarine? And I didn't mention this earlier, but also found in the gondola control center of the airship was a briefcase that was still locked and contained secret codes and classified information. So it seems like if they were going to defect, they would have taken that with them.
0: It would make sense, yes. Yeah,
1: why would you leave that? And there's no evidence that would question these men's loyalty to America. So this theory is also a no, in my opinion. I don't
0: think they were traitors. No. I'm not going to say that. I'm sure they were good American patriots that got sucked into a space-time vortex, ripped into the space-time continuum by aliens. Gotta
1: hate them, wormholes.
0: Happens all more often than you'd think. hmm
1: Theory four is that there was a stowaway on board. Remember that one report where a woman saw three men on board Mm, and the other report about a parachuter. The theory is that there was a third man on board that murdered the other two and parachuted to safety. Though there's no motive given as to why someone would want to murder them. And there were no signs of a struggle. And it's also unlikely in my opinion, because what was their motivation
0: also for a parachute to operate properly You would have to dive from a higher distance than 30 feet. So unless he jumped out when it was ascending, possibly. When it was going up. But at that point, and that would make sense because if you're going to have to have room, because not only do you have the room for the parachute to operate, but you get further away from the scene of the crime. And when you come out as a parachute, then you've got more of a area you can cover to go and try to escape maybe. Somebody would have seen a parachuter in a crowded. Was this in a crowded area?
1: They did see the parachuter. One woman,
0: you said. No, it was
1: a man at a golf course.
0: The man at the golf course.
1: But the woman saw three men on
0: board. Okay, so this does seem like it might carry some weight.
1: But what's his motive? And why didn't he take the briefcase?
0: Well, maybe he was sent there for maybe it was a love
1: quadrangle instead of a triangle.
0: There were oh no, it's like the whole base was in on this maybe. And they drew straws to see who got to kill the the main instigator.
1: Okay. I think, that sounds I think we've crazy. solved it.
0: I really do. I mean, I feel like we, we should be employed by the uh, federal government. I thought you were. Of course I'm not.
1: <laughs> theory five. You'll like this one. It's a rogue wave.
0: Oh, no. They
1: think maybe a rogue wave reached up over 300 feet and knocked both men into the water.
0: Oh, this is terrifying.
1: This theory doesn't hold much water. Since the gondola itself Ah. received no water damage. And Cody's mother-in-law said that she saw him a year after the crash in Phoenix, Arizona. But she didn't report it to authorities. She said his eyes appeared peculiar as though he was suffering from shock or mental illness. So maybe he did escape and start a new life.
0: Okay. After a rogue wave came by. That little bit of information you just gave me uh, has solved the case. What is it? It was definitely the rift in space and time.
1: Theory six, a man named Otto Gross began an investigation and launched a website named ghostblimp.com. and he made claims that the government was secretly testing an experimental radar using microwaves. He thinks that the microwaves were not shielded properly, causing the men to become disoriented and fall out of the cabin. There's never been any conclusive proof that the government was experimenting with microwaves, But this doesn't surprise me. We're talking about big government here. And I do find it a little suspicious that his website, ghostblip.com, no longer seems to exist.
0: Seems like he was using some unshielded microwaves of his own.
1: (laughs) When you go there, it's just a blank page if you try looking it up. This
0: (laughs) was definitely not a plausible theory site. No reason (laughs) to linger here. Go check your Amazon orders.
1: I know. Like when I think about microwaves, though, I just think of like our appliance that we heat up food with. But in 1942, there was no such thing. It didn't become, did you know?
0: Do you remember that microwave we had in the other house we lived? That somebody I think it gave was from, from 1942.
1: <laughs> like the first year a
0: microwave came out, it weighed about 580 pounds. I do
1: remember that, it but it wouldn't It probably
0: generated enough energy to cook all of our brain cells in probably. the house.
1: Probably. You know, they didn't become widespread in the homes until the 70s, but I think this one predated that.
0: By a little. Yeah.
1: Theory seven, and this is my favorite. Obviously, it was aliens. aliens. Besides the accidental fall, this one is the most plausible to me.
0: I've already been saying it.
1: As a member of the alien race, we are always abducting randos for experimentation and such. Say, what happened to your skin? Why that, is it
0: no longer green? Had it bleached?
1: So I blend in, <laughs> with, you blend society. in
0: with society.
1: <laughs> Could the drain batteries be attributed to an alien encounter? Remember that battle of Los Angeles that just occurred a few months before? Some people theorize that that was really a UFO that sparked the event. Like well, this I picture, see isn't this that obvious?
0: Picture that you have me posting right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing I think is spatial rift, aliens, yeah. and hang gliders. Well, I
1: can neither confirm nor deny this. The case has been closed by the Navy and is classified as unknown and undetermined.
0: That's how they say they know what happened, but they're not telling yeah. you.
1: So what happened to the L-8 that became known as the Ghost Blimp? Well, it was quickly repaired and used as a training vessel. When the war ended, it was sold back to Goodyear. It was renamed America and flew over sporting events for many years until it was retired in 1982.
0: I was just waiting for you to end this story saying, and then it was sold to Pink Floyd.
1: Oh, that would be great.
0: And then you got a piece of L-8 in our Office area.
1: That would be cool. But unfortunately, no. The control car slash gondola was repainted with the L8 markings and is currently on display at the National Naval Aviation Museum in Pensacola, Florida. Try
0: to say that three times fast.
1: Yeah. So if you're in Pensacola, Florida, go take a picture.
0: Yeah. See if you can maybe get some readings off of it.
1: So my final guess, of course, is aliens. What is yours? The wormhole?
0: Okay. You're saying your final guess, but... Uh,
1: if My it were conclusion. aliens,
0: you wouldn't need to guess.
1: Well, I said I can't confirm or deny.
0: Can't or won't?
1: Won't. Okay. I'm so am just guiding you in the right outside direction.
0: outside theory that may or may not have any basis in the fact that you possess classified information is that it was an alien event. Yeah. Okay. An event. My personal theory is that, and this is, I think, the most plausible and reasonable scenario, is that they were going up. There was a third man on the ship. This third man was actually an alien. And he (laughs) snuck onto the ship to steal the microwave technology that we had, not because he needed it, but because we weren't supposed to have it. And they ended up. Taking these men from the ship, they replaced the actual briefcase of documents with another briefcase of documents because this is the only set of documents that was about microwaves. And not just microwaves like, you know, in your microwave oven, but the microwaves that give you mind control. And the government hates that the aliens took it. So they had to save face. So they said that the men just disappeared when, in fact, the men were actually all three aliens.
1: Okay, you almost had it.
0: This is the least convoluted version of the theory <laughs> that I could share with you without having to redact all of it. So now, we're going to switch gears completely and talk about triangles. Leaving Oh ca- wait,
1: we already did love triangles.
0: Aha, uh-huh, I thought we were uh-huh, doing quadrangles. Bringing
1: it around.
0: What is a quadrangle?
1: I don't know. What
0: does a quad quadrangle look like? Is it a it's shape?
1: Like, it's like a uh,
0: It's like a triangle rectangle. but a rectangle. It's a
1: rectangle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I've never heard of a rectangle affair. There's a quadrangle
0: affair. <laughs> All right. That's going to be the title of my first book, A Quadrangular <laughs> Affair. So now we're leaving California and traveling to the other side of the United States. And we're going to be talking about the B- Bennington Triangle. ha, You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? I didn't. Well, they did. <laughs> Not the well known Bermuda Triangle, but. Equally as scary, this mysterious area is located in southwestern Vermont, one of the scariest cities in America, as you can tell by these pictures. Look at that signpost. Mm. It's really scary to know that I was promised some maple syrup from Vermont by somebody, and I never sent it to me. I just thought I would share that on the podcast. The Bennington Triangle (laughs) in Bennington County encompasses part of the Glastonbury Mountain and Green Mountain National Forest. And we found tales of intrigue, including your favorite favorite. and mine, cryptid Bigfoot.
1: I do like him in this story, though. I
0: like him in this picture. Yeah. Also within the triangle are the towns Woodford, Shaftsbury, and the now ghost towns of Glastonbury and Somerset. Why are we not in a city named Shaftsbury? Oh, no. Where are you from? Shaftsbury.
1: <laughs> Shaftsbury, Vermont.
0: We make the finest Bigfoot mythos in the entire triangle area. <laughs> this area has a very storied past. Native American folklore contains tales of a man eating rock. The Abenaki who were part of the Algonquin tribe, refused to settle the area because they felt it was cursed. Besides their belief that there was a rock that could swallow men whole, they believed their god, Tabaldic, is that right? Tabaldic. Sounds close, right? Lived at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain. Four contradicting winds caused the weather to become very volatile, Legends of creatures in the mountain added to their fear, and the area was only used as a burial site. There are strange smells and strange lights, UFO sightings, and reports of a Bigfoot esque creature dubbed the Bennington Monster. This led to the area remaining mostly unsettled until the late 1800s. In the 1870s, a logging railroad was established and a thriving little town in Glastonbury appeared briefly. It had a population of 120 people, up to 241 people at its peak, so it was a bustling metropolis, if I say so myself. Strange sightings of a Bigfoot-type creature were popping up. It was described as being taller than six feet and completely covered in hair. The first reported sighting was in the early 19th century, Apparently, it knocked a stagecoach onto its side on the road and ran away while roaring. Sort of like, Eesh. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: like
0: what are you away. doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Bigfoot? What's wrong with you? Yeah. The accident didn't have any casualties nor evidence of the creature, mysteriously enough.
1: yeah, I wonder how many people were there that established this fact.
0: Probably two drunk guys. Yeah,
1: was it just two drunks?
0: from a New York Times article dated October 17th, 1879. A wild man of the mountains. Two young Vermont hunters terribly scared. Ponau, Vermont, October 17th. Much excitement prevails among the sportsmen of this vicinity over the story that a wild man was seen on Friday last by two young men while hunting in the mountains south of Williamstown. The young men described the creature as being about five feet high, resembling a man in form and movement, but covered all over with bright red hair and having a long, straggling beard, and with very wild eyes. When first seen, the creature sprang from behind a rocky cliff and started for the woods nearby when, mistaking it for a bear or other wild animal, one of the men fired, and, it is thought, wounded it, for with fierce cries of pain and rage, it turned on its assailants, driving them before it at high speed. They lost their guns and ammunition in their flight and dared not return for fear of encountering this strange being.
1: First of all, I like that newspapers were written so articulately back then. Like, these days, it would have just been they saw a monster
0: hereby and where to for yeah, back would, then. They would
1: use little words, they don't use nice big words anymore because most people's reading levels like eighth grade. I can't
0: handle all the adjectives,
1: <laughs> but I also find it interesting that the creature was described as being five feet tall. That's pretty short for a Bigfoot.
0: When you read the description, this literally sounds like it could be a resident on this island
1: that would true. be in a bar.
0: Be, oh, that's just great. He
1: shows up with a gunshot wound
0: and be like, oh, Well, that's just. Classic Greg. (laughs) During the logging days, the first reported murder occurred on April 4th, 1892. Two logging workers got into a drunken disagreement that resulted in Henry McDowell hitting John Crowley over the head with a rock, killing him. Some reports state that Henry McDowell made claims that he heard voices that told him to hit the man with the rock. McDowell was arrested and convicted and sent to a mental hospital where he later escaped. He was never seen again.
1: Now see, was he hearing voices because he had schizophrenia or a mental illness or was he hearing voices in the area because people report hearing strange noises, voices compelling them to do things?
0: I'm thinking it's 100% strange voices in the air, and there's no way that the man literally had some sort of mental illness because this is the 1800s. And they didn't have that back then? They didn't have mental illnesses back then. All they had was voices in the air. All
1: right.
0: Five years later, on October 1st, 1897, John Harbour, a prominent citizen and father of four, was killed on the opening day of the first ever deer hunting season in Vermont. The circumstances of his death were never sorted out. Was it a hunting accident? Or something more sinister. No one was ever brought to justice, and his widow died, never knowing what happened to her husband.
1: Yeah, he just died of a gunshot wound, and no one knew how. wasn't his own gun.
0: First deer hunting season. Yeah. As soon as it opens. Yep. You know what happens? Somebody's like, "Hey, Greg.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no oh, gun safety well, classes. There's
0: a, ooh, there's a triangle around here."
1: This one, I'm um, like, could believe was just an accident because more than likely, you know, sometimes people do shoot. And I don't know if they were wearing like um, those reflective vests that, you know, show or life jackets. Oh, yeah. But they didn't have any life jackets
0: or a briefcase. Definitely no briefcase. With top secret information.
1: Well, he was a doctor, so maybe he did have one.
0: regarding microwaves.
1: Mm. He had it all. He had all that information in the uh, late 1800s.
0: And it all disappeared. Mm-hmm. Ended up on the blimp.
1: Yeah. It's all mm. coming together.
0: Eventually, the trees had all been cut down. They were using the trees to burn in these large kilns that they had made to produce charcoal. Charcoal was a popular energy source at one time. Now they had the idea to turn the railroad tracks into electric trolley tracks and transform it into a little tourist destination. A summer resort was built in 1898. The loggers' boarding house was converted into a hotel the Glastonbury Inn. The existing apartment house slash company store was turned into a casino where you could get a trout dinner for only a
1: dollar. See, they would have got you up there in a heartbeat. They casino. Back. All they had to say was casino.
0: All they had to say was $1 trout dinner.
1: <laughs> You'd be there in a flash. I don't think flash. I've
0: ever eaten trout before, but I might be talked into it to get to go to a casino.
1: And so like they, I think they spent about 20 years there, the logging time. So they were cutting down all the trees and making charcoal. It was quite profitable for a while, but eventually, you know, charcoal wasn't the way to go anymore.
0: Not very efficient.
1: And they cut down all the trees. So that railroad company ended up going bankrupt, I believe. And then someone came along and thought, oh, we'll just turn it into a destination. Trout
0: dinner, $1 casino. It was a
1: great idea. It was
0: definitely a shining example of capitalism.
1: Yeah, it was a great idea.
0: All of this sounds like a good plan so far, but Mother Nature had other plans. A flood came in the fall of 1898, and since there were no more trees, erosion caused all the bridges and trolley tracks to be destroyed. After one summer, that was the end of that. The buildings were abandoned, and all that's left today are piles of bricks and remnants of $1 trout dinner, silverware that hasn't eroded okay i made that part up there is no <laughs> remnant of that
1: I wonder if there's any uh of the casino left any like uh what kind of games did they have? pharaoh table or anything like that
0: well from that far back i doubt they had anything beyond table games
1: yeah that's why i said like a pharaoh
0: furniture if it didn't like disintegrate maybe like a table where they had served one dollar trout dinners <laughs>
1: You really want a trout dinner, not No, I don't. <laughs> I don't
0: even like fish, really. I mean, I... Hey,
1: that's I, what I made for you last night. I mean... You liar. You said I, it was good. I, it was good.
0: Your cooking's amazing. It it's, wasn't it's trout. Great. It was cod. It was, yeah, that's why I've never had trout. Mm. The population of Glastonbury steadily dwindled over the following years. By 1900, the population was 48. By the 1930s, the population was seven. And in 1937, the town of Glastonbury was disincorporated, making it, along with the nearby Somerset, also part of the Bennington Triangle, the only two towns in Vermont to ever lose their township status. They are essentially ghost towns today, with Glastonbury's population in the 2020 census reported as nine people. I wonder what they do for fun in Glastonbury. Hunt for Bigfoot.
1: That's what I would do. What else you got to do?
0: Try to figure out how to bring back them $1 trout dinners.
1: (laughs) That's probably all they eat.
0: Casinos.
1: Trout dinner. They probably get it right out of the creek.
0: Maybe that's what the Bigfoot eats. Another Bigfoot claim is made by a man named Albert Ostman. He says that in 1924, he was searching for a gold mine when he was abducted by a creature and taken back to its lair. He said there were several of these creatures, with the adults being over eight feet tall. They're getting bigger as they get older. Mm-hmm. He said they were gentle and even fed him sweet grass.
1: <laughs> Not hey, the hey, kind of grass we got here. Hey, little
0: baby, have yourself a little bit of <laughs> sweet grass. <laughs> Once again, this makes me wonder if these were Bigfoot or hippies. Yeah. He was held for six days until he was able to sneak away while the creatures were sleeping. So why did they capture him? Maybe they were planning to fatten him up and eat him up for dinner?
1: They didn't have any trout.
0: Maybe they wanted a pet. Maybe. Mr. Osman didn't come forward in 1924 for fear that people would think he was crazy. But when more sightings were being reported in the news in the 1950s, he told his story. Despite its ghost town status, people still came to the area to take in its beauty and explore the isolated mountain. A 275 foot long trail in the mountain, aptly named Long Trail. <laughs> well, because it's long and whoever named it didn't probably put too much thought into it. And I'm guessing that's why it probably attracts hikers from all over.
1: That's what I think.
0: This is where we get to our first disappearance. So we're going to fast forward to 1943. Carl Herrick was hunting with his cousin, Henry, northeast of Glastonbury Mountain, which lies at the center of the triangle. The pair got separated and Henry contacted authorities to look for him. After a few days, searchers found Herrick's body. His gun was nearby with no bullets discharged. The autopsy determined that the cause of death was squeezing. His ribs had punctured his lung. The townsfolk did not show any particular concern afterward.
1: I guess he wasn't a popular guy.
0: Well, you know how it is. You go out in the woods, you eat your sweet grass, and then you get up bear-hugged to death by old Bigfoot.
1: Maybe he did get squeezed by Bigfoot. I didn't Uh, think of that.
0: I'm solving the mystery right here, right before you. Next, on November 12th, 1945, Middy Rivers, a 74-year-old hunting guide, is leading a group of four men. He goes ahead a short distance and tells them he will meet them at their camp for lunch, but he doesn't show up. They go looking for him and can't find him.
1: And they were having trout that day.
0: One dollar (laughs) trout! A huge search ensues, but the only thing ever recovered is one of his spent rifle cartridges. Everyone was baffled as he was a very experienced outdoorsman and was very familiar with the area. If he had fallen into the water or had a medical emergency, it seems like they would have found his body. The following year, on December 1st, 1946, an 18-year-old college student named Paula Jean Weldon decided to go on a hike on the Long Trail. Here we go back to that inventive name trail. It seems to be a source of pain pain. And terror oh, no, for I think
1: they'd give it a better name, It'd be a more like, intriguing name.
0: Long, scary trail. Yeah,
1: how about scary trail?
0: She was seen by several people, including a man named Ernest Whitman, who was an employee of the Bennington Banner, their local newspaper. He states that he gave her directions. Paula was reported to be wearing a red jacket as the temperature was 50 degrees that later dropped to 9 degrees as the day went on. An elderly couple who were also on the trail say they were about 100 yards behind her when she rounded a corner. When they rounded the corner, she was gone. When she didn't return home, a massive search, including helicopters, was conducted. The police and FBI were called in, and a $5,000 reward was offered, but no trace of her was ever found. How Hmm. do you describe that?
1: Well, I think it just now came to me, what if it was the guy at the newspaper? He knew where she was going to be. What if he went in and abducted her?
0: Ah, and then these people saw him. Maybe he was waiting around Mm -hmm. the corner and he snatched her and Mm -hmm. they came around and he like... Muffler in some way. Yeah, because
1: a lot of times killers like to insert themselves into investigations. So that might be why he went to the police and said he saw her or talked to her.
0: So they would go search and he could go help.
1: Yeah, because they like to do that for some reason. They often show up again at the crime scene sometimes.
0: How do they not implicate themselves by doing that?
1: They do usually these days. But yeah, back then he could have gotten away with it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Boys, get rid of all this blood. It's in the way. It's It's clogging up the crime scene.
1: Yeah, but it's still unsolved. She's never been found.
0: Well, that is unfortunate. Mm. Exactly three years to the day of Paula Weldon's disappearance, on December 1st, 1949, a veteran named James E. Tedford went missing. James Tedford, who resided at the Bennington Soldiers' Home, had taken a bus to visit relatives. His family took him back to the bus station and never saw him again. He was on the bus with 14 others. But when they arrived in Bennington, he was gone. His luggage was still on the luggage rack and his open bus schedule was on his seat. So, this one's different from the others since yeah. it didn't happen in the woods. Yeah. So, how does a man vanish off of a bus that's in movement with 14, 13, 14 other people on the vehicle with him? Wormhole. A temporal space and time tear. In which he was abducted directly into the sky.
1: Yeah, it is kind of ironic that it was the same exact day, though.
0: December it is 1st, weird, isn't three it? Three years
1: later, yeah. Just that—that's the only connection, really. Though its he, he wasn't, you know, having anything to do with the Long Trail. Probably never even the been long, there. Scary
0: trail. <laughs> the following year, on October twelfth, nineteen fifty, Paul Jepson, who was eight years old, was with his mother in her truck. She told him to stay in the truck while she went to feed some pigs. When she finished and came back, he was gone. He was reportedly wearing a bright red jacket. Starting to see some stuff. Yeah. Color red. Starting to pop up. Red jacket seemed to tie together. But despite extensive search efforts, he was never seen again.
1: Yeah, he was not. But um, some of the insinuation was that possibly the parents had done something with him. Possibly even as bad as feeding him to the pigs.
0: Because pigs will eat anything. It will. They. That's awful.
1: Because this article that I read but then here. then why would
0: she tell the police that that's what happened if that's what she actually did?
1: She didn't tell him she fed them, t- that she, she fed her she son. She said she was going to
0: feed the pigs. So the first thing you're thinking is they're going to go look for remnants where well, pigs no, are at. they
1: think the kid's missing. They're not thinking that she murdered him immediately. surely well, at got, some point It, it got turn suspicious off. here in this article where a woman says that she may have seen him Uh down the highway. And the father's like, no, it wasn't him. It doesn't sound like him. And he refused to let his wife be questioned any further by the police. So they were starting to get suspicious. Mm. But there was never any sign of him again. So if she did feed him to the pigs, likely there was nothing left.
0: Yeah, they eat everything, don't they? Yeah, so
1: hopefully that's not what happened. But I don't know what would be better, what could possibly be a good outcome for him.
0: I mean, if we're, we're talking uh, abducted by aliens, it's better than being fed to pigs. Yeah, maybe. Only 16 days after the eight-year-old's sudden disappearance, a 53-year-old woman named Frida Langer goes missing. On October 28, 1950, Frida and her cousin leave their family campsite, which was near the Somerset Reservoir, to go on a hike. Frida fell into a stream and went back to the campsite to change her clothes, But when the cousin went back to the campsite, he found that she had never returned. Over several weeks, five searches were conducted with up to 300 searchers, including helicopters and airplanes. They found no trace of her until the following year, May 12, 1951, her badly decomposed body had been found. The location was about three miles from the site where they had been camping, However, this area had been searched during the initial days of the investigation. and autopsy could not determine the cause of death due to the state of decomposition.
1: They said that they had thoroughly searched this spot before. So it was really weird that then the body shows up.
0: Just So to me, it sounds like this guy killed her, had the body somewhere. They searched, didn't find it. Then he brought the body back and dumped it off there because they've already searched there. But who? him the the cousin cousin.
1: how'd you know it was a him did i say him
0: i'm just assuming it was a him
1: well see i assumed it was a woman like when i first read the story but then i found another article and it said his name so it was a man so yes
0: i was just assuming it was a man yeah well because it seems like this is a made-up story (laughs)
1: it's a made-up story
0: no that that it's a made-up story that he said she went back to go change her clothes maybe that never happened
1: uh, that's what I'm saying, because like, when I first heard the story, I assumed it was two women, but cousins, but it could be either. I didn't think of it. And then when I read this, i was like, oh, yeah, he could just say this. Yeah. And he never and then and that, show up and act surprised. Has like, anyone
0: ever done that before, though? I like, say you, you murder somebody and they have a search in the place where they think the body would be. And, you know, the search happened in this location. Oh, and yeah. And you have the body somewhere else. Oh, and then yeah. after the search happens, you move the body to where they oh, yeah. already searched. That's happened a lot. Really?
1: Yeah, people do that.
0: So, this definitely could have been a plausible For explanation. Sure. Not saying this is what happened, but it's a plausible explanation.
1: It is plausible, but we don't know this situation. We don't know their relationship. He could have been a great cousin, a great friend, yeah. family member. We don't know.
0: Could have been Bigfoot.
1: It could have been.
0: Could have grabbed her and drug her off.
1: Yeah, and then just thrown her out later when he... When it got warmer, it could be. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Either way you slice it, it sounds horrifying. Mm-hmm. In 1967, another monster appeared on the mountain. Remarkably, it was even less pleasant than the Bennington monster. The wild man of Glastonbury was said to be living in a cave close to Somerset and had a habit of going into Glastonbury to harass women. His MO was to open his coat to flash his naked body. Simultaneously waving around a pistol to threaten anyone who would want to stop him.
1: So, what is this? Is this a Bigfoot or a man? I don't know.
0: I'm not sure. The wild man of Glastonbury. He sounds like he invested in a trench coat and a pistol and not much else.
1: So, if you are one of the nine people that live here, it just seems like
0: you got to be one of these nine people. Yeah. Every one of you people, is some kind of monster. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. On September 17th, 2019, the remains of a modern victim, New York resident Jessica Hildenbrandt, were found near the Somerset Reservoir. Police determined that her death was a homicide. No leads have turned up about her killer. She was nicknamed Red by her family and friends.
1: I'm assuming she had red hair.
0: That would be the most likely explanation, Mm -hmm. I assume.
1: So another unknown murder
0: Tied to red in some way. Mm. In August 2021, Joseph Schoning was found in his truck at Somerset Reservoir with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He had been missing for several weeks. His truck, would you like to guess the color? Blue. Exactly wrong. <laughs> it was red. Is there any significance to the color red in this area?
1: See, I don't know if this is like a thing or if it's just a legend that's, you know, taken on its own Trying life. Trying to
0: find a way to stick red yeah. with everything that happens. Well, he possibly. had a
1: red uh, piece of paper in his pocket, like, you know, it's just... His
0: favorite color was green, but at one time <laughs> he had a red shirt. <laughs> Several of the victims were wearing red or had some association, such as the nickname and the truck. So what could explain these strange occurrences? Could it be that the land is cursed as the Native Americans suspected? Is there a rock that swallows people up? Do voices call to them, luring them to their deaths? Is there really a Bigfoot monster hiding and abducting unsuspecting victims? An author named Christopher Noel believes it is very possible That a rogue Sasquatch type creature could be responsible for the disappearances, citing the numerous Bigfoot sightings through the years. Yeah,
1: he lives out there and he talks to people and he's heard all kinds of stories. He said he had spoken with a guy and they had been in a like camper because they were hunting and it was like him and three others. And all of a sudden, the whole camper started like rocking really hard back and forth. So it was like something was shaking it. So they, Look out, and they see a big creature that's like eight feet tall, and it's running away from them on two legs. So,
0: Was the camper red?
1: I think it was.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I think the story's coming together nicely now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A local fishing and hunting guy named George Prouty had his own theory. He says the creature he suspects that is responsible for the abductions is mountain lions. He says it fits their M.O. of stalking a single prey and taking it into its den where you would never find it.
1: I don't know why I just don't think of it being mountain lions, but I guess it isn't, you know, possible. Possible.
0: I guess maybe.
1: When he says that they're capable of carrying a 200 pound person up a tree. So, yeah, I guess they could just They
0: have the brute force. Yeah,
1: They could just grab you and be gone in an instant and you just wouldn't realize it.
0: There's another theory, however. Was there an active serial killer that was making the mountains his haunting grounds in the 40s and
1: 50s? It seems at one time the police had this theory and they even uh, dubbed him the Bennington Ripper. And a quote in an article was, we had a killer on our hands, not just an ordinary missing persons case. So they had all these ideas But they never had any kind of actual evidence to go, you know, to follow up on. No arrests, no people of interest, no anything. But it is possible that someone could be a serial killer. They
0: missed out on calling him the Red Ripper. Yeah. These people don't have any marketing department, it seems. No. It's almost like they weren't interested in marketing it so much as they were catching a serial killer.
1: Well, they didn't catch anybody. It
0: may not even have existed. Yeah. Are aliens dropping in and abducting random hikers? Maybe. Are they? (laughs) Maybe. Or is it like astrophysicist Maurice Franks suspects a
1: wormhole? He really believes this, too. I I do, too. No, I mean, he's like 100% believes it. Well,
0: I like 86% believe it. (laughs) This could explain Tedford's disappearance from the bus. He believes wormholes do exist and could have transported the victims anywhere on Earth, or perhaps even another dimension. Yeah. The last theory is, they are all strange coincidences.
1: This one's no fun.
0: The area is remote, like we talked about earlier. People who live nearby and are familiar with the area say it's very easy to get lost and report getting strange feelings there. Also... The weather is volatile, like we discussed, with the winds causing the weather to change rapidly. All of the disappearances occurred in winter. Maybe they tried to seek shelter and died of hypothermia. But that doesn't explain why Frida Langler's body was found months later in an area that had been thoroughly searched previously.
1: Yeah, that for me is the hardest one besides the bus thing. Like, I could see the 18-year-old girl getting abducted either by a person or a mountain lion or a bear or something yeah. and the little boy and even the uh, old man that was hunting, he could have gotten attacked too, but yeah, how does the person disappear off a bus? And like, if like he did get off the bus and no one saw him, how was he never seen again?
0: It, it, you know it doesn't I mean? make like, any that sense. That one just
1: does not make sense.
0: Wormhole is really the only thing that makes sense. It here. is. I think so. Is there any truth to the color red having any significance? It seems the Bennington Triangle will hold on to its secrets and keep us fascinated as we try to make sense of it. If you would like to learn more about it, check out Season 3, Episode 8 of William Shatner's Weird or What? The episode is titled Mysterious Vanishings. It's also been featured on the Travel Channel show Most Terrifying Places in America back in 2018. The episode is titled Unnatural World.
1: Yeah, so um, look that one up and you have to pay to see that one. So I don't know if you will. But the other one, the William Shatner one, is on YouTube and you can watch it. But there's a lot of videos out there. And if you watch them, it's fun to read the comments because a lot of people that are from the area will tell what they've experienced there.
0: The color red.
1: Mm -hmm. And they almost all say that the place is creepy and that they're scared to go there.
0: Well, we should definitely schedule ourselves a trip <laughs> to not go there. I am not
1: going there, not because I'm scared of disappearing, you but just because I don't
0: like I, hiking. I don't like, well, you I don't like the woods. I don't mind. I don't like that. the outdoors. No, like I do. It's the beach.
1: No, I do like hiking. I just don't feel safe there.
0: I don't know. I wouldn't either. And I certainly wouldn't wear the color red. No. Well, that's going to bring us to the portion of our episode where we
1: insert graphic here.
0: Perfect. Here it is in red.
1: What What we're
0: watching. watching.
1: We've mentioned before that we're both huge fans of horror anthologies, and we found out right before Halloween that there was a new one on Netflix, so we had to try it out, and that would be the 2022 horror fiction show, Cabinet of Curiosities. This eight-episode series covers standalone stories of horror, and each episode was directed by a different director. They tell very Lovecraftian type stories and have no tie to each other, which is pretty cool. Sort of like the American Horror Stories was. Mm-hmm. We thought we'd talk about the first few episodes today and maybe cover some more in the future. The first episode is called Lot 36. This story follows a man who is struggling with debt and needs to pay off some thugs so he doesn't get off. He purchases a locker at an auction like, like this on that
0: show. show you used to like where he's like,
1: yeah. Exactly like that. It turns out this locker wasn't supposed to be sold, as a lady who previously owned it is in the office arguing with the manager of the storage facility. He seems to show some remorse and tells her to go talk to the man who bought the locker. Our hero. Our hero. (laughs) She pleads for just some of the personal items, but he flat out refuses to let her get them for anything less than a ridiculous sum of money. She can't pay, so he gives her the cold shoulder. No way, this is going to come back to bite him, right?
0: No karma involved here.
1: But it seems this locker wasn't owned by just any normal person. There are some very peculiar things going on in here, and some of his findings cause the story to take a dark, if not super unexpected turn. second story is called Graveyard Rats. This one creeped me out. Yes. It opens with two grave robbers stealing jewelry from a fresh burial. A man comes and chides them, brandishing a gun to threaten them away. They have no decency, he says, and fires a warning shot to get them to flee.
0: What a what a virtue.
1: He then immediately jumps into the grave and starts pulling gold teeth from the corpse. <laughs> virtue. <laughs> but he has a problem. It seems the rats in the graveyard have been snatching most of the bodies before he can get to them. And he has a debt to pay as well. Seems to be an ongoing theme. It does. He visits his friend, the coroner at the morgue, who he seems to have an arrangement with to see if he can find any more of those good old gold teeth. Mm-hmm. He's not very successful, but then a new body from a prominent man is brought in. He hears about the burial and the body while he's hiding behind the table. Yeah. When he looks into the man's mouth, what do you know? Nothing but gold teeth.
0: As it should be.
1: He wants to pull them, but the coroner won't let him. He can get them after the man's buried. He's not thrilled with this, but decides it's his only option. When he goes to pilfer the body, the rats grab it and pull it into a tunnel underground that's been gnawed into the coffin. He chases them down into the bowels of the earth. Horror ensues.
0: Indeed, it does. It
1: does. Kind of like made me uneasy sleeping that night.
0: Very claustrophobic kind of episode with very horrific looking creatures. More than one.
1: So, Brett, what is your rating and why?
0: On the two episodes that we are reviewing on this particular episode, I will say that I liked both of these. They were both interesting stories, told pretty well. The Lot 36 one, it gets to the ending, and this is a going theme with this show. Mm -hmm. It feels like they're building a story, and they're making this vast story, and they're laying groundwork, and stuff happens, and stuff happens, and then it ends. And it feels like not so much that the endings are necessarily bad endings, but it feels incomplete. It feels like there should be more... To this story.
1: Because the episodes are pretty long. They're probably an hour long-ish. So they spend that whole time really building and building. And it's like, oh, this is going to be good. It's going to have a great payoff.
0: it ends without the payoff you expect.
1: Yeah, none of them have had the payoff you want.
0: Mm, No, and I don't know if that's intentional. It might be so that you're trying to draw your own conclusions. But in these two stories, I did enjoy it. And it was entertaining. And I like the the various ways they shoot these scenes and some of the ways they make you feel like you're there. And as the episodes go on, my favorite one's in a later episode, which we may talk about in a future review of this show. So I would say that based on all the stuff that's in it, I'm going to give it, I think it's probably maybe a solid eight
1: mm-hmm. is
0: what I'm going to give it for the first two episodes.
1: Okay. I'll give the first episode a nine and the second one an eight. I like the first one better than the second one, but I did like the second one. The episodes are long enough to really give it a chance to be a story. And I just feel like it just falls a little short.
0: I agree. I think it's by the fact that they try to accomplish too much in an episode that they can't really grandiose
1: ideas and then they're like, Well, we gotta end it.
0: Uh, And we're finished. It's over.
1: But I do recommend watching this. It's a, it's an interesting little horror anthology.
0: Yeah, that one episode was kind of disturbing. Though we haven't got it to yet. I think it's called the autopsy.
1: Oh yeah, that one. That one did have an ending.
0: That one was crazy. Yeah,
1: that one I liked. So yeah, the first two episodes, eight, nine. So
0: we'll let you know as we cover these in an upcoming episode.
1: Yeah, so on go check it out future episodes. Uh, what's his name, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo
0: del, del Toro. Toro
1: cabinet of curiosities.
0: So that's going to bring us to the portion of our episode that we like to call Layla Layla and Coffee Talk. Talk. So what it is and what it was and what it ever shall be with the dogs.
1: The girls had a lot of fun helping me cook dinner tonight. I made some chicken and you like um, pork rinds. I like to grind them up in the Vitamix.
0: It's so much better than any kind of breading you could ever use. Trust me, even if you're not doing keto. Yeah, it's very low carb. Get those is pork rinds it. and it sticks on better than breading and it's firmer and crisper and tastes better.
1: Yeah, so they got to enjoy um, several pork rinds. While I was cooking. What good
0: beasts they are. And they've also continued their exciting chase of our baby possum that we have outdoors. Yeah,
1: Layla's getting a little more used to it. She wasn't so irate tonight, but coffee was like, she'd run over to me and want a pork rind, then run back over.
0: She'd run to the door. It's a glass door. She'd kick it with her foot, not kick at it. She'd kick down at it, then run back to not miss food. Then run back to the door, kick the door, run back. Mm -hmm. It was a whole
1: thing. It was. They were especially ready for their walk tonight for some reason. I don't know. Layla's just got a whole bunch of energy these days. That's right.
0: She sure does. Maybe her new diet. She is definitely getting back into the swing of things and heading towards that
1: fighting weight. Yeah, she's looking thinner.
0: So you can find us online at scarysavannahandbeyond.com or on all social media sites using the username at scarysavannah. Make sure to check our store and look for the awesome merchandise we have. You can click on the tab at the top of our website and find the link to go there.
1: Get yourself an apron so you, too, can be as good a baker as Brett.
0: Make sure to check out that episode on YouTube where I was challenged to a baking contest with Crystal called Caked Up with Crystal. It It was really fun. It was definitely out there. And you can have an apron with our logo because it'll make you 100% better baker. We also now have a mailing list. So if you want to get onto that, go to our website. There's a tab up at the top that says mailing list. Go there. You can subscribe to it. And we're going to be sending out little newsletters every once in a while, little updates on when we're doing things. We might even send out some coupons. Who knows? We'll send out stuff. So if you want to go subscribe to that, if you haven't already, it's real easy to do. Go do that on our website.
1: Our mailing list.
0: Mailing list. Say Mail. Mail 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 what's wrong with the way i say mail that.
1: oh you say mailing mailing
0: list you a mailing list. mailing list mailing and you too can get updates on why she chides me for having a southern accent <laughs> i
1: just thought it was cute i've never noticed that one that cute. little you don't say mail that often
0: you know what else we'd like people say to email do? email
1: <laughs> you just did that on purpose
0: email So please leave us a review.
1: Review our Southern accents, please. Our Southern accents. (laughs)
0: Crystal hides hers most of the time, but I don't hide mine nearly as often. Please go to your (laughs) podcast location of choice and leave us a five-star review.
1: But I'm sure anyone listening can hear. I'm clearly not from the North.
0: And a rating. (laughs) If you can get past her thick Southern drawl. And see fit to leave us a rating. We'd appreciate it so much greatly. Why don't you say something in that old Southern accent of yours and don't hide it for them. Let the audience hear who you really well, are. What can I say that's really Southern? Just talk like you normally talk We're not in the podcast. I do. You sound like such a redneck and then everybody's <laughs> laughing at you. And they say, wow, your husband must be from the Bronx because you sound like such a hick.
1: Say pistachio.
0: Pistachio.
1: Pistachio.
0: Pistachio. Spider-Man. you
1: say pecan?
0: Oh, no. Is I, it
1: pecan or pecan?
0: Pecan.
1: Is it pecan. Pecan. Is it pecan or pecan? Pecan pie.
0: How do pecan people say pie. it?
1: I'd were...
0: say pecan pie.
1: Pecan pie.
0: I, that's how I always said it. I
1: always heard it pecan when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, uh, well, you were from a much down, more down south yeah. kind of group of people than I yeah. was.
1: <laughs> Some pecan pie.
0: One last thing we'd like to ask you to do is to fill crystals coffee cup with coffee and support yes, the podcast and you can do that by going to our website looking for the little yellow buy me a coffee icon clicking on that and leaving some coffees that would be greatly appreciated would help support the podcast and keep us keep going me awake. <laughs> keep her awake for sure and we do have one other thing we got to do before we close and we're going to announce the winner of our October merchandise giveaway. And on this month's episode, we are going to use our fancy patented, scary Van and Beyond random number generator to select the winner of the podcast and Crystal. After the results have been tallied, tell me who is the winner for yeah. October?
1: The lucky winner this month is Holly Mullen. Yay, dun, Holly. Da, dun,
0: dun, dun. <laughs> Come on down. Don't wear a red jacket.
1: <laughs> yes, do not wear red, Holly.
0: But we will contact you and let you know how to claim your prize in an email soon. So thank you to everybody who has listened to the episode and watching our podcast on YouTube, if you're not doing it yet, you need to make sure you do it because it's awesome there.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of pictures and stuff on, on the YouTube videos. On the episodes. Yes, yeah. we
0: do. So that just leaves us with those 15 little words out huh? Who you say in your real southern boys, please, ma'am.
1: Join us next time in Savannah where the ghosts and the good times live on.
0: But do you know who don't?
1: Hopefully, that crazy Bennington wild man, who I'm not sure was a monster, I think he was an actual man. Yeehaw! <laughs> I'm gonna teach you a thing or
0: two about monsters.
1: Oh gosh!
0: <laughs> I gotta leave now. This is uncomfortable. <laughs>